Welcome to the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Due to the rate of unnecessary C-sections, the lack of support, and limited options for VBAC moms in the hospital, more and more women are choosing to have their VBAC babies at home. This podcast was created for women to share and listen to stories of home birth after cesarean. I'm your host, Rachel Garrett. Okay, so today we are chatting with Samantha, and she is going to share her birth stories with us. So Samantha, do you just want to give us a little bit of an introduction? Okay, uh, my name is Samantha and Alfonso, and I am a doula, um, uh, and I've been working in breastfeeding counseling, and I've trained other doulas, so I'm really... uh, informed and I've worked for a while and uh, as a birth professional. Um, I live in Ontario, Canada, and I have four kids now. And my recent one, most recent one was just um, born in November. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. you do you primarily do like birth doula work or what kind of doula work? Yeah, so I, I primarily work as a, as a birth doula. Um, although in that I can kind of extend into postpartum care if that's necessary. And, um, I've been getting more experience lately in breastfeeding counseling. So that's been kind of like a natural extension of my interest in, in birth. If you don't mind just giving yourself a little plug, where could people find you if they're listening to this episode and maybe searching for a doula in your area? Do you have a website or Facebook page or anything? Yeah, I do. I do have a website and a Facebook page. Uh, it's called Nurturing Births Doula. And I'm, uh, yeah, so I can also give you the links for that and maybe. Yeah, I can put them in the episode notes. That would be awesome. My perspective has changed so much since my first baby um, versus my fourth one and after becoming a doula myself and and from my professional experience. So yeah, it's really when, interesting to have a wide range of experience. And At what point in your story did you, maybe this will come into play later, but at what point in your story did you become a doula? Uh, after my second child was born. I had a, I had a doula at every single birth I've had so far. (laughs) Awesome. That is so awesome. I love to hear that. I feel I should practice what I preach. If I believe I do a good job, then I should, you know, definitely include that support at my own uh, birth. Well, let's jump in. Take us to wherever you want to start us off. I I guess I have to start at the beginning um, because I, my first birth is kind of what launched me into um, where I am now. Uh, my first birth was a cesarean section, and it was not planned to be that way. I had been hoping to have a home birth. I, you know, rented the the water, uh, the birth pool, so I could have a water birth. And I was um, aiming for this really natural and um, empowering experience. Like I, I wanted him to have the very best entrance into the world, and. So I was hoping for it to be gentle and unmedicated and for him to just get all the benefits of being born in the way he ought to have been. Right. So, but unfortunately it didn't go that way. I had, I, I had thought that I was, you know, informed. I read all the, the baby books. I went to prenatal classes. I signed up with registered midwives and um I thought you know with a midwife I'm gonna get like about as natural an experience as possible and also like a safe one 
so yeah, we put a lot of preparation into getting ready for him to be born. And, but then the big day came and, um, I had labored through the night and in the morning we decided to call the midwife because I was getting into active labor. And so when she arrived, she checked me and she's, she said, Oh, well, he is breech. <laughs> and, um, he had been, uh, supposedly head down since my, um, 20 week ultrasound and my midwives hadn't noticed that he had flipped. I had, I had kind of thought that he had, but, and when they explained his positioning inside my body, it, it hadn't made a lot of sense to me because I always felt like, Oh, it, it feels like he's sticking his head out <laughs> and at the top of my, um, at the top of my uterus. And, and I would always feel the top of my belly and, and think, Oh, it feels like he's sticking his head out so I can rub it. <laughs> but yeah, so she definitely noticed that he was breached when she um, did a, an exam and found that what she thought he was coming out shoulder first, and it turned out to be a knee she was feeling. <laughs> and uh, uh, she's like, well, I can't, I can't deliver a baby at home like this. So it was like an automatic transfer to the hospital. We went to the hospital and I had my first cesarean, you know, relatively quickly. When I got there, they checked um, his position and the, the doctor was really condescending to my midwife. And he was like, that's a knee, not a shoulder. And, <laughs> and so um, I just, I felt really bad for her because, you know, it was an honest mistake. She didn't, you know, mistakes happen and, and she didn't know that he was breached. Otherwise we could have had, you know, time to prepare or discuss options. Um, midwives in Ontario are not allowed to deliver breech babies at home. Um, it's not part of their scope of practice. They're, um, they're told that if they have a breech presentation, they have to consult with an OB. Um, at the time, he, he's now 11 years old. We wouldn't have had the option of any other solution besides the cesarean surgery. Um, and it makes me so mad because just months after he was born, there was a, there was a big study done and they found that there was no, uh, there was no difference in outcome if a baby is delivered uh, like a vaginal breach birth versus a cesarean birth. And so that the conclusion of that was that women should have the option to choose whether they, you know, have their baby uh, vaginally or by cesarean and to um, be informed of the risks of both options and be able to make the choice that's best for them. So when, when that came out and I read about it in the news, I was just like, oh, just months late. But then now we are, you know, almost, we're sorry, more than a decade later and women in Ontario still do not have the option of uh, vaginal breech birth. It's just not widely available to them. I've heard of clients traveling really far distances to, to meet a doctor who will do it. Um, and there's, there's a couple in Toronto or, or like scattered throughout the province who will do it. Um, and so if for a lot of women, it's not an option to drive for hours to see the one doctor that will deliver a breech baby in a hospital so far away from them. So their option is basically surgery, which any obstetrician can do. Right. And I feel like I've read quite a bit that breach really isn't even being taught in medical schools anymore, like during residency or anything like that, because it is just an automatic jump to a cesarean. So all of these new people that are being trained in are just losing that skill. Like they're not even being taught that skill of how to support a mom having a breech baby. Yeah. 
to me, it's, it's really outrageous because they're supposed to be like the pinnacle of experience and, and, and knowledge in their field. Like they're supposed to be specialized in the medical care of um, pregnant women, especially women that are considered high risk. And if you want to define a breach position as high risk, then they should know how to, how to cope with it. So then how did your C-section go and then the recovery afterwards? How was all of that for you? Well, I found like, um, it was, it was a huge disappointment because I had been set up and prepared for, um, a completely different experience. We were going to have a home, a home birth and to transfer to the hospital and have a cesarean. It's almost like the, the opposite, uh, on the range of experiences that you can have. And so like postpartum, there was like some disappointment to cope with. Um, and just, I, I was kind of shocked at starting my journey into motherhood with, with surgery. It's painful um, because I hadn't planned on going to the hospital. I wasn't quite ready to be there for, you know, a few days. So I, I stayed for three days and um, yeah, I had had limited experience with babies. So I, I kind of felt like this baby was taken out of me and just passed to me and he he didn't really feel like my baby right away. Like I didn't feel that automatic instant connection. <laughs> um, so it was, it, it was a, a, a bit of a hard adjustment to make, I would think. And having never really stayed in the hospital for an extended period of time before, I wasn't quite ready for that. So, you know, uh, with, with a surgery, it, it hurts to move around afterwards. It's hard to get up. I needed help by the nurses or, or somebody else who was there. Um, and at the time, my um, my mom had somewhere else to go. Like she had been there for, in the surgery with me. My uh, uh, my partner had been uh, getting coffee while, while my uh, son was born because like they only allowed one person into the operation theater. And um, yeah, so, and then I found afterwards when I was in the hospital, like my family sort of thought, oh, well, she's taken care of, she's in the hospital. But um, every time my baby cried, I like still had to get up somehow to get to him. And, um, you know, I, I would ring for the nurses to, to help me with that, but they are doing a lot of other things. So by the time they, they got there to help me get to my baby and get him on me so I could feed him, he was already really worked up and upset and so we're starting this breastfeeding relationship with him really upset every time I tried to nurse him and uh so that was really hard too so and since then you know when I started working with clients anyone I know um or even heard about who's having a cesarean I say take somebody in the hospital with you (laughs) make sure you have someone there with you all the time like see if your partner can sleep overnight or have a friend come and stay. And um, then there's somebody there to pass you the baby every time you need the baby. And then it's not so, not so hard. Right. You know, after I I would say after two or three weeks, I started to feel better, but still I had pain up until about seven weeks postpartum. So it's a big deal. Like that's a long time. And in that time, uh, the baby is learning how to breastfeed and you're learning how to be a mom. And it's just, it was so much, it was, it was a lot. And I'm, I'm really happy I had my mother's support. She came and stayed with me at home once I was out of the hospital. So it was a bit of a relief to go home um, because I had more um, responsive uh, care, I guess, with my own family. Um, yeah, uh, so. <laughs> 
I ended up having a second cesarean for my next birth. I really wanted to to really have to have the experience I didn't have before. So I had hoped for, you know, let's plan a home water birth <laughs> with my second one. And um, I saw no reason why I couldn't have that because the reason I had a cesarean was just because of his position. And, you know, in hindsight, like I could have had a vaginal breach, breach birth and I, I had a cesarean for institutional reasons or, or like medical care reasons, not because um, I was incapable. So, or I, and I never felt incapable of giving birth to any of my babies. Um, so my, my, my second one, I had planned a home water birth, but my um, midwives were like, whoa, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, that you have a, a cesarean scar and this is something to consider. So they, they, they sent me some um, research studies and to read and some you know, I looked up the re medical recommendations um, published by the, the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists in Canada. And um, like it, it says that you should have the option of having a VBAC and that these are the risks. And I, and I was aware, you know, I could have a uterine rupture and, but I felt, you know, I had more chances of success than failure with it because those research studies, some of them done in Europe and other places with different medical care systems, they said like I could have an 85% chance of success with it. And I was like, that's amazing. Like it looks like I would be more likely to have success than um, have a repeat cesarean. You know, I, I was willing to take the risk that I might have a, a uterine rupture, but at, during every prenatal appointment, I had a team of two midwives and then there was a student midwife involved in my second pregnancy. They were the same ones I had for, for my first birth. The, well, the, the one was the same and then they switched partners. I had a different one for the, um, the second time around. But so the one that I had with uh, my first birth, Nathaniel, um, she was pretty supportive of me trying to do it at home. Uh, but the second one wasn't, comfortable with that at all. Um, I learned, I, I don't know if it was through her or through one of the other midwives that she had been at a birth where there was a suspected uterine rupture and it was a big rush to the hospital. And I think that uh, experience really played on her. But throughout my pregnancy, she spent like every prenatal appointment I had with her trying to convince me not to do it. Um, so every time I went in, we talked about what happens during a uterine rupture, how like I'm going to bleed out in 20 minutes. And they kept saying 20 minutes, 20 minutes. I have 20 minutes to get to the hospital and get surgery, or I'm going to die, or the baby could die. There wasn't really a discussion about like different kinds of, you know, ruptures. It was like, we were always talking about the worst case scenario, kind of catastrophic uh, situation. And yeah, her and the student midwife were kind of teaming up and I felt, I felt like I was ganged up on really. Like I wasn't, I didn't feel supported in my choice and I was quite scared going into my next birth because I, I had this weighing on me. And although my other midwife was supportive, it, it wasn't, it wasn't really enough to counteract the, <laughs> the, the, well, I had more appointments with the other one just as it turned out. So yeah, when, when I went into my second birth, I, this was something that was on my mind and um, something I was a bit nervous about, even though I still felt like I wanted to take the chance because I only lived um, about 10 minute drive from the hospital at the time. So I felt, oh, you know, if I 
you know, if there's some sort of indication that there's a problem, I feel like I can get there in time, especially if we call ahead and tell them like this is the situation. And because I felt my odds of success were quite high, right? So I was trying to focus on what could go right as opposed to what would go wrong <laughs> or very, very wrong. And uh, yeah, so when it came time for me to, um, yeah, I, I guess like towards the end of my pregnancy, I started to feel more pressure from them um, for other reasons as well. Um, my appointment right after I turned 40 weeks, they said, oh, well, because you're a VBAC, you can't, um, you can't go past your due date too long because the baby's going to be too big and then it's going to be an, an additional complication. And then, it, so they had told me like, be, because of um, my situation, uh, I really couldn't go past my due date for very long. So they, at, at around 40 weeks, I had an appointment with them and they scheduled me for a consult with an obstetrician. And I said, I, I didn't want to consult with an obstetrician because he's just going to tell me not to have a VBAC at home. <laughs> like, right. you know, I, I'm pretty sure that they're not going to think that's a good idea. So why would I want to go to talk to somebody else who's not going to support me? So I refused to consult and they're like, oh, you really should get to know the obstetrician. And uh, I'm like, why? He's not going to be there. But I think it should have been a red flag for me, but I didn't know. I, I really didn't know how this sort of VBAC journey turns out. <laughs> like it's it's really hard to have uh, a successful VBAC uh, at, at that time. I at at my hospital and in the region I was living in, I was in Guelph. When I found out afterwards that the VBAC success rate was only thirteen percent, I felt a little bit misled. Like they had given me these studies that said, "Oh, somewhere in Europe, like this study was conducted, and eighty-five percent of the women that were in the study had successful vaginal births." And I was like, "Well, it would have been nice to kind of throw in that in my region, the way that we practice medicine in Ontario, we don't support people who are trying to have a VBAC um, effectively." so that they can achieve that goal. You know, I was told I have to have a textbook pregnancy, labor and delivery for me not to have a cesarean second section a second time. So like anything goes slightly off, like I have to dilate like a half of, um, I have to dilate a centimeter every so often. And, and I, it was an incredible amount of pressure because I can't control how fast my body dilates. I right. can't control how long it's going to take or when I go into labor. So it was just this horrible pressing feeling like my, I, I just couldn't get my mind to cooperate with my body. <laughs> so well, if anything, can... it's probably inhibiting progress too. If you're like, if you have all this pressure on you and you're like, okay, by this time I have to be this far along. And by this time this has to happen. I mean, that's going to slow your body down too. Yeah. And, and at this, at the time I was also, um, completing my master's thesis and, uh, my defense date for my thesis was just 10 days before her due date. So in the end of my pregnancy, I'm like, don't come out, don't come out, don't come out too soon. <laughs> and then once my due date came, then I'm like, come out, come out, come out now. <laughs> right. And I felt like no matter what I was doing, I was like, on, I was, I felt like a ticking time bomb. Cause I was like, this could happen in an in inconvenient time. <laughs> And I think that kind of played into it because uh, I've had four babies. Um, all my other ones were born at 38 weeks. And then my second one was uh, at 40, 40 weeks plus six days. <laughs> 
So she was the only one that stayed in longer. And I'm wondering if there was some sort of like psychological component to that. It, it could have been that my, um, my ultrasound date that dated the pregnancy was off because I'm like, why would I have three babies that are born at 38 weeks and one that wasn't? I mean, that could be a natural phenomenon as well, but <laughs> she, she didn't feel ready to come out because I uh, got to my due date. Then we started talking about induction and um, out of all the induction options that I was presented with, you know, they kind of suggested that the stretch and sweep would be the best thing for me because it's, it's a natural technique and, you know, it doesn't have very many uh, consequences. I was told at the time. So they're like, let's do a stretch and sweep just to get things going so that um, you'll have this baby before the arbitrary deadline set by the hospital in my region that all the back uh, moms have to be delivered by. <laughs> so um, I agreed to the switch, stretch and sweeps. It like caused a lot of um, cramping, pain and bleeding. I felt miserable because I couldn't get any sleep because I had uh, all this cramping. And um, I, I felt like, oh, this is good though. I'm going into labor. Um, and then the next morning it had all petered out and, and I wasn't going anywhere. So uh, the midwives called me and they asked me, how is it going? And I told them, well, I was having contractions all night. And then now that morning's here, I'm not having any, like they're really far apart every hour or so. And they're like, oh, okay, you come into the office and we'll give you another one. <laughs> and I said, okay, I just really wanted to get the baby out um, so I could meet these deadlines that I'd been put on and so I went in and got another one and that was even more painful and <laughs> the student midwife got to experiment with me so I got like a double one <laughs> like she, she she did it first and then the the more experienced midwife said oh that's not going to do the trick and <laughs> she gave me another one which was like pretty painful I don't uh I don't like stretch and sweeps I don't recommend them for people if uh, anybody asks my opinion on it <laughs> And so that gave me some more cramping, more bleeding, more um, exhaustion because I was doing that. And then, um, so I went home, we stayed at home. I was hoping I would go into labor that night and um, I didn't. So the next morning they called me again and they were like, okay, listen, this is Thursday. It's the last day that the only obstetrician in our city who might support uh, a VBAC birth at the hospital is gonna be on call. Once he goes off call, then your other option is to have a cesarean on Monday morning with um, the with any obstetrician that can take you. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, okay, so it, it was I felt like I was stuck between a rock and a hard place. It's either, you know, go with a medical induction and do it with the only guy that will, you know, allow my baby to be born vaginally um, or you know, have more stretch and sweeps and hope that the baby comes out on its own on the weekend. And if it doesn't, then certain surgery on Monday. And the prospect of going through four more days of stretch and sweeps and sleepless nights and pain and agony over and getting no results um, didn't appeal to me. So I thought, you know, best thing is to go to the hospital. So we went to the hospital we saw the only obstetrician in, in Guelph that would consider supporting my plan to have a vaginal birth. He, he was pretty, I, I would say he's pretty relaxed about it. Like he wasn't concerned about anything. Um, and he's, he agreed to um, 
you know, start a medical induction if necessary. And so out of my options, they said, why don't we start with breaking water first? Because that's, you know, natural. (laughs) Then you don't need to go straight to the drugs. And I thought, okay, sure. (laughs) When they broke my water, though, um, I started having these really very painful contractions. It hurt so much. Um, And uh, like, I was ready for an epidural after maybe an hour or so of that, like I didn't last very long. It was really awful. When you <laughs> had so, already been experiencing yeah. the pain with the stretch and sweeps leading up to that too. So I'm sure your yeah. body was exhausted at that point already. I was exhausted and my cervix was very irritated. <laughs> and, and, you know, I wasn't, I don't think it was really labor um, or early labor because I don't think I would have been feeling that way if it had started naturally. Um, and I have experience with that now after the fact. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so they, they broke my water and um, it got painful. And then they were like, these contractions are kind of wimpy. Like they're, <laughs> they're not really causing any dilation. I was after hours of being like that, I was only four centimeters dilated. And they're like, let's try some Pitocin. We'll kick it up a notch. So they put me on Pitocin. I asked for an epidural to cope with that because the person made it even worse. And then they um, got the anesthesiologist in and placed the epidural, but it didn't work. It only numbed my body from my knees downwards. And so I, I told them I'm still having pain, like it's not going away. They brought the anesthesiologist in. He did like the ice cube test where he's like running the ice cube up and down my body, which is like dry. It was such an irritating thing when I was in ex- extreme pain. And yeah, they're like, ha ha ha, it's only from the knees down. I was like, that's not funny. (laughs) And so they uh, tried to fiddle with it a little bit and it still didn't work. And then I I started having um, pain between contractions and I had pain around the the middle of my abdomen across my belly button. I also had some unusual bleeding according to them. So they were concerned that I was going to have a uterine rupture because pain between contractions, uh, extra bleeding. These are, these are early signs. So they told me that I could be having, uh, like heading towards a uterine rupture, which like freaked me out so much. It was very scary, because, especially since I was told, you know, you have 20 minutes to, before you die. And so, uh, they, they said, we think we should plan for a cesarean surgery. And they brought the obstetrician in and he actually, he didn't seem like he saw anything urgent about the situation. He's like, yeah, we can do that. That's no problem. <laughs> like he was, it seemed like he was kind of following what the midwives were telling him to do. And, and I, at that point I felt a relief that I was going to have a cesarean because it was just, it was really awful up until that point. And so I waited for the surgery to happen and I was, you know, thinking about the time of it and it took about, you know, um, it was like 40 minutes to an hour before I uh, got surgery. And in that, in that time, I was like, what's, what's taking so long that they, they didn't have a second doctor um, in the hospital to assist. So they had to wait for a second doctor to come in. Um, so that they could get the surgery done. And afterwards I was like, oh, well, (laughs) they're not, even if you're in the hospital, they're not necessarily prepared to perform a surgery in 20 minutes. So that's not a, yeah, that, that wasn't a realistic interpretation of what I could expect. Right. 
Had your midwife been with you at the hospital? Yeah. So I had, uh, I had one midwife with me. Um, she was kind of floating between me and another client that she had in the hospital as well. Um, my mom was there. I had my doula there. My doula was trying to like walk me through like some hypnobirthing stuff we had done together, but like it would just, it just wasn't, it wasn't doing anything for me because the, the pain was really intense. And the, the nice thing she did for me, my feet got really cold and she was, she was holding onto my feet. I remember her keeping my feet warm and I was like, I was really grateful for that at the time. And then my, uh, my husband was there, but he was just like, he felt, uh, I think overwhelmed by the situation. He, he, he couldn't watch me in that kind of pain and he ended up leaving, <laughs> uh, to go be with our son after afterwards, I, it was really hard for me because I, I felt abandoned when he when he left. And so for, for a while, I had a, you know, a, a relationship issue too after <laughs> going through this experience, which ended up being quite traumatic. Um, my recovery from that from that birth took a very long time, not not physically, it was about the same as my last cesarean, I, I felt better after seven weeks. Uh, no pain, but um, the the trauma of that that birth stuck with me for years. Like I, I felt, I felt you know, kind of some version of myself after two years. So that's a really long time. And when again you have a new baby that has all these needs that you have to meet, plus you have your other child already <laughs> at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, my my oldest son was only two and a half, so he he's a little busy guy, and yeah, it it, it felt like a really dark time for me because I had I would have flashbacks of lying in the bed and being in pain and not having any sort of because you you expect oh if I if I ever feel like I have too much pain I can just go to the hospital and get a, get an epidural it's like a magic pill and you'll feel better but. Like I had never even known that an epidural might not work. <laughs> I never even heard of that. So I, I didn't think of that as a possibility. And when that sort of magic solution um, didn't work for me, I felt like there is nothing that can help me. I have all these highly trained people around me and they can't help me. Like my doula couldn't help me. My mom couldn't help me. My husband left, like my midwives couldn't help me. And I felt really helpless. That's a very... A, a powerful word too, feeling helpless, like not powerful in the way we think of it, but just all of the emotions that go into that. I think sometimes people don't realize that it's not just the birth experience, but that that carries over into motherhood and just our everyday lives too, the trauma from that. And that's really hard to work through when you have all of these other things going on and you don't you don't really get time to yourself as a new mom because you have all this other stuff to do and all these other responsibilities were there were there things that helped you during that time or kind of around that 2 year mark when you said you started to feel a little bit better just to process and work through everything that you were feeling um i i was obsessed with what happened to me after afterwards um, I, I would say I felt good for a, a couple of weeks after she was born, like, oh, I have a new baby. I'm just happy to be alive. I'm happy she's here. And then uh, around the two week mark, I kind of made a crash. Um, I ended up crying a lot. Um, 
anything that sort of, it was really hard for me to tell other people how it went. Um, there were, it was, it was really hard to talk about it. And I was trying to, I, I like trying to avoid it and anything that would remind me of it. Like uh, the other thing that would made a big impact is I came home <laughs> from the hospital and like the birth pool was still um, it, it, in the hallway. Like it was all packed up. It was, you know, ready to go back to where it came from. But when I saw the pool and the hose, I was like, ah! you know, so upset, um, you know, that that was the first thing. And then like around two weeks and I started feeling so terrible, just lousy all the time about the whole thing. And I, I became obsessed with it. I'm like, why did this happen to me? I just needed to know. So I was like reading all the books I can get my hands on and searching the internet. I'm like, why, why, why? Like, I just, I was told why, like when she was born, they said, oh, well, the cord was wrapped around her a bunch of times and she wasn't descending because the cord was too tight. You know, in my um, medical notes, the obstetrician noted that I had a lot of it, um, adhesions from my previous um, uh, cesarean scar. And maybe that was why I had pain around the middle of my belly button. I, you know, babies can be born with the cord wrapped around them. Most babies are like, there's a good, good percentage of them that come out with the cord wrapped around them in some way. Right. So I'm like, why did this happen like this? Why couldn't I dilate? Why was she born this way? And it just, I, I had to make sense of it. And like reading for me is, was kind of um, therapeutic. And when I realized, I'm like, I'm spending so much time reading about this, I might as well get some sort of qualifications. So I enrolled in a doula course and I thought, oh, well, maybe, you know, I'll find some answers there. And I was just like kind of blown away <laughs> by um, what I learned uh, about, you know, how birth is managed in our, in our culture and how, you know, having someone supportive who's um, going to share your goals with you, um, like a doula can can really help um, to help you make those decisions when when the time comes. And so I, you know, found a found a passion there, which is kind of a nice direction that this went. Um, and I, st I started going to births. And, you know, the first one I came away from, I was like, she did it, you know, I was just so, um, so uh, excited to see it kind of play out more normally than what I had. And it kind of, it gave me more confidence to, to try again. Um, I had never planned on having a third one, <laughs> but after having like the two cesareans in that whole experience, and I felt like I lost, I lost time with my, my first two kids, um, just because I was sucked into this dark hole of um, postpartum terribleness. <laughs> I like, you know, you can, you can call it whatever you want. I didn't, I didn't seek out the care of a psychiatrist or, or a psychologist or, or like a therapist of any kind. Um, I just, uh, I think it's most um, probably resembling postpartum uh, PTSD, what I went through. Um, I had tried to seek resources from um, a th one therapist, but she had asked me to write down my birth experience and try to write it, like to focus on the positive parts of it. And that really just like turned me right off. And I never saw her again, because I'm like, first of all, I can't relive this. It was too raw, too difficult to even talk. Like it was hard to talk about it and admit it. I need help for the first time to even go out and seek it. And then like I'm in her office, like bawling my eyes out, telling this story. And she's like, try to find something positive in it. I was like, 
the only positive thing about it was my baby's alive. <laughs> like, it was because otherwise I would describe it as a horrible experience. And um, I wasn't ready to look at like what could be good about this or what good could come from it, you know? So um, that just turned me off of seeking any sort of therapy, <laughs> which is a shame because now I know there's, there's things that you can do to help that sort of situation. Um, but I think you have to meet people where they're at too, because you can't yeah. just jump into those experiences and expect people to find the silver lining and then be like, okay, that's fine. Yeah, Everything's fine okay, at the moment. Okay, right? Yeah. Right? So I, I yeah. think it's important to, to be able to work through the not positive parts, the bad parts, because I, I think we, we focus so much on, oh yeah, baby's healthy. Mom is healthy, but that's not everything when it comes to birth. And I feel like I've said that on a lot of episodes as we talk through these undesirable birth experiences and outcomes and things like that. But we just focus so much on finding that one positive thing or focus focus on your baby, focus on baby being healthy. And that doesn't get rid of everything else that you're feeling when you experience yeah. birth trauma like that. Yeah, and, and it is a it's a form of silencing to tell people to um oh you should just feel good about the good thing that happened. You have a baby, congratulations, right? It feels um, dismissive uh, of all the other feelings that you have. Yeah, and that's a that's a form of like secondary wounding when you say I'm in pain, I'm having trouble coping with this, and there's the natural response of the people around you is to be like, Oh, but you're alive and your baby's alive, so everything's fine, right? <laughs> Because it, it makes it seem like those those feelings aren't aren't valid or um, or somehow not matter. as important. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or some that there's just nobody to understand you. Like you're having these experience, like this psychological experience that nobody gets, and that is a it's an alienating feeling. I just have to put out there too. I'm not sure if you're in this group on Facebook, but there is a home birth cesarean Facebook group, and I found. Mm -hmm a group of women there that understood what it was like to plan a home birth and then have a C-section. And obviously everyone's stories are a little bit different just in how they arrived at that. But mm -hmm. that for me was huge in just finding people who understood how I was feeling or could understand just my perspective a little bit more because I didn't really get that from a lot of people in my personal life. I mean, my husband tried to be supportive. My mom, my mother-in-law, everybody was, they were great and they did everything that they could, but it wasn't what I needed at that time. I needed someone to be able to meet me where I was and like sit in those icky, gross, horrible feelings with me until I was ready to start processing through and move through them. Because it, it takes people different times to be able to process through everyone processes through things like that differently and so you can't expect at six months postpartum for you to be fine with your birth experience because for some people it does take months or even years to be able to process through everything that happened so i just for anyone else who's maybe experienced something along these lines that that group was really really helpful for me yeah it when i felt like i was starting to get better is when I found people who were really willing to hear me <laughs> and, um, um, and who understood, right? So when I, when I became a doula, I was kind of introduced to like this community of women who 
have a lot of the same experiences or feelings that I, I did. And um, that was really healing. I met someone uh, really special uh, through there. And she's later, like she's now become my mentor and we've worked together for years now. But she started uh, an organization called Birth Trauma Ontario. And I, uh, she used to work for the organization that I did my doula training through. Um, so that's how I kind of made that connection. And so she started holding like monthly meetings for women who had had traumatic birth experiences so that we could um, provide each other with peer support. And she also like is quite knowledgeable about birth and trauma. Like she had a trauma, traumatic birth herself. So she, she understands from like, uh, like a research perspective, like what are these stages that people tend to go through or what are the struggles that people tend to have um, once they've had a traumatic birth experience. So um, just learning about like, it's a real thing. <laughs> like, I, I didn't really understand what was happening to me at, at the time when it first started. I thought, oh, maybe this is like postpartum depression because you know that's, that's what people are familiar with. I didn't realize like, you know, you could have trauma from a birth experience, but like now it just kind of seems like, uh, of course, of course you could, <laughs> right? It's uh, oh. it's quite an intense uh, bodily experience to go through. So, but yeah, so when, once I had met her and started meeting other like women in my community, real faces and real people who could listen to my story without being like, oh, but you have a healthy baby. <laughs> Uh, who shared my feelings, who had the same sort of struggles that I did. Um, I, that was a huge step for me. And I, I was able to, you know, kind of move towards healing through that. So then you had mentioned you, you weren't sure if you were going to have more children after that was, was this kind of in the midst or how long afterwards did you get pregnant with your third? Um, so I was, um, yeah, I was really not sure that I wanted to do that a third time. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to, to go through a, a difficult experience that way. And then, you know, find out the courage to, to try again and the hope. Um, I was pretty sure that, you know, well, I've had two cesarean surgeries, like now they're really not gonna <laughs> be supportive of me having this, you know, beautiful home birth water experience. <laughs> And so I was pretty sure I'm like, well, they're, I'm probably going to have to have another C-section or I'll have to have a hospital birth. But then at the time when I um, was training to become a doula, I, I became intrigued by the, the possibility of unassisted births. And I was like, well, what if I just oh. like, don't even know with the medical assistant, like then, you know, all I have to do is wait and eventually a baby's going to come out. <laughs> And, and I was also fortunate because I, I met other people who had taken that route before and I was able to talk to um, other mothers that had not um, used a midwife or a doctor at their birth. And so going into my third one, I was pretty sure that's what I wanted, but I just felt like I just, I needed to know what my options actually were before I made that decision. So I decided to go back to the same midwives I had again. Um, I went, I went for an appointment with the one that I had seen through my first pregnancy, my second pregnancy, and now my third, because I, I trusted her. I thought, you know, this is a person of integrity and she's going to tell me the truth. Like if I want my options <laughs> laid out before me, she's going to tell me what they are. And this so, is the one that had been more supportive with your second pregnancy, yeah. right? Yeah, she had been more supportive. So I went in to see her right after I became pregnant with uh, 
my my daughter Allegra, I had said to her, um, I, I said, um, you know, I've had two cesareans. Would you support me in, in having a home birth? And she's like, uh, unfortunately, no. <laughs> they, they're like, we, we can't attend a home birth with someone who's had two cesarean surgeries. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the risk is a little bit more. And so like, at, and when going into this appointment, I had already like searched medical journals and looked up um, what happens if you have two cesareans, like well, what's different about that situation? And so I knew that my risk was higher because it had two, but also not sig- not significantly to me. <laughs> like it, my risk of having complications was higher, but I still felt like I had a high probability of success. So I, I didn't really see having two surgeries as something that should have stopped me. Uh, you know, everybody's different in that regard and how they assess uh, risk and what they're comfortable with. And for me, I was like, no, this is not a reason to, to toss like a nice birth experience out the window. And so I asked her, you know, like, what could I expect then if I'm going to do a hospital birth? And she basically outlined the same thing she said to me when I was pregnant with my, with my second, you know, I'd have to dilate this many centimeters in this many hours. I'd have to have a textbook pregnancy and birth, um, because I'd had two cesareans, I would have to consult with obstetrician at 35 weeks. And then from then on, I would have shared care, which means, you know, I would have an appointment with the obstetrician every week and an appointment with the midwives every week because I was high risk. So um, that didn't sound appealing to me at all. I'm like, basically, I'm being set up for the exact same experience that I had the last time. And, you know, I would be under the care of the obstetrician, like he would be making the the midwives would kind of be like a secondary support system. And I had two small children and the idea of going to appointment two appointments every week, (laughs) just just, it didn't seem appealing to me because um, I have to drag my two kids around with me and it's it's hard enough to get out of the house with two little kids, right? So that didn't sound like a a good possibility for me. And I, I asked her, I was like, have you supported women in, in this midwifery practice who have had um, two cesareans before. And she's like, yeah, we've, we've had a couple of clients come back. And I was like, well, out of those, you know, how many clients do you think that is? And she's like, well, I wouldn't know off the top of my head. And I was like, just guess. And she said, well, probably a handful. And I was like, so let's say five. <laughs> You've had five clients who um, had two cesareans and they wanted to have a VBAC. And I was like, out of those five clients, how many of them had vaginal births? And she's like, none. We've, we've never had a client with two cesareans give birth vaginally in our midwifery practice. And when she said that, I was like, oh, okay, well, now I know what I'm going to do. And I, ju- I just needed to hear that, that she, and she was basically saying to me, she's like, but I know you are so, you are so powerful and you're so strong. And she's like, if anybody could do it, I know you have the determination to, to do this. And she's, she was trying to be supportive. And, but my reaction is like, I don't want to be strong. I don't want to be fighting to get what I want. I want it to just happen. And I want it to be, I don't want to be fighting during birth. I want it to come out. I want it to be peaceful. I, I want my baby to be born gently and for them to have all the health benefits of being born that way. And I want to feel like I did this, not that I had to 
fight tooth and nail to achieve something that was almost impossible and that had never been done before. I'm like, uh, I might want to be a trail of blazers in, in, in other parts of my life, but I do not want to be a trailblazer in giving birth to my baby. <laughs> so um, after that conversation, I, I wrote them a letter and I, um, I formally um, ended our agreement because like when, when you first sign up and start going to see them, you, you sign an agreement saying like, you're my care provider. And I formally terminated that agreement in, in writing. I said, you know, you can send my medical records to my doctor. And I told them, I thank you for the suggestions. I'll, I'll seek out a, an obstetrician for the rest of my care because I, I just don't want to be on the radar. And I was hoping, you know, I'd get lost in the paperwork. <laughs> But um, they, they kept phoning me to ask me where to send my records. Where, which obstetrician are you with? Where, where should we send your records? Where should this go? And I ended up just saying, like, just send it to my family doctor because I haven't found an obstetrician I like yet. So um, I had my records sent to my medical doctor. I was hoping like she would just kind of, they would get lost in the paperwork there. But then they ended up calling me and they're like, why are we getting your prenatal records? <laughs> so, uh, I, I went in to see my family doctor who I really didn't know very well. I'd only seen her for one appointment. Um, we had a, a pediatrician at the time for our kids. So we weren't taking the kids in for medical care with her. And so I, I'm like, I don't know this person at all. I don't know how this is gonna go. <laughs> uh, so I went in and I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna be honest. And I hope that she like can understand um, because she seemed like an empathetic person at the first time I met her. So hopefully, you know, next time it'll be fine. And I, I made an appointment with her because the uh, assistants that she had working in her office insisted that I did. They're like, you have to come in and explain this to her. And so I said, okay. And I, you know, I, I was just really honest with her. I told her, you know, I was very disappointed with my first two experiences. Um, you know, my second birth was traumatic. I really can't do that again. They are ruling out the possibility of supporting me in the type of birth that I want. And so, you know, I'm, I'm gonna do this without uh without a doctor and without a midwife <laughs> and she's she was like well i have never met anyone who's done that before and so she she started asking me questions and through our conversation it became very clear that i had prepared for this that i knew what i wanted i knew what my options were i wasn't making a decision out of ignorance or or uh, anything like that and she's like well you seem like you, you know a lot about what you're doing and <laughs> she she said I can't, as your doctor, say that I think this is a good idea, but, um, you know, anything you need from me, just let me know. Like, if you want to do blood work or if you want to have an ultrasound done, she's like, I'll, I'll do that for you. And I was like, perfect. You know, I had her get my iron checked and, and, and stuff like that. And um, it, it was, it was yeah. nice. She, was, she seemed like she was excited for me, <laughs> even though, like, she couldn't officially be so. I was going to say that's probably like the best response you could hope for from someone in the medical system when you're like, yep, I'm just going to, I'm just going to have a baby at home and do it by myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I told her, you know, I would have support. I had, um, I had mentioned, mentioned that I, I met this um, mentor of mine <laughs> earlier. And so I had planned for her to be there and she's, she's very experienced. I mean, she's been to, um, she's been working as a, she had been working as a doula for like over 30 years so she had been to other unassisted births before she was completely fine with it so i i told her you know i have this this support and i won't be alone like there, there's somebody there who knows like what to do and 
and you know I know what to do and I've I've taken the time to plan for it and she she seemed like oh that's completely reasonable then and I was just kind of shocked that I was so lucky to have ended up with a doctor that you know understood what I was saying and and was respectful of my choices it was it was really amazing (laughs) so then did you do like what we think of as formal prenatal care anywhere did you do your own prenatal care from that point uh, I did my own prenatal care. So um, like the the woman that I, t- I told you about, who was my um, mentor, she just like showed me how to do my own blood pressure and measure my own uterus. And, and you know, I know how to weigh myself and stuff like that. Uh, and I had already learned about like palpating and, and figuring out like what the position the baby's in and that sort of thing. So I mean, there's really not much to prenatal care. You go in, you get weighed, you do the like urine test to make sure you don't have like too much protein in your urine. And those are things that you can buy. <laughs> like I, I would go to the grocery store. When I went to the grocery store, I'd stick my arm in the cuff and, and measure my blood pressure there. Um, you know, d- just stuff like that. And like other things that are not even thought of as prenatal care exactly, just like eating healthy, getting exercise, like just basically you want to take care of yourself to make sure your body's in in the best condition it can be before going into a thing like a birth right it's a really intense physical experience so you want to be as fit as possible so you know I continue to go to dance classes and go for walks with my kids and I take my um, supplements and eat good food and that sort of thing yeah I'm glad you brought that up because I think there's a lot more to actual prenatal care than just what's in that 10, 15 minute doctor visit that you do once a month throughout pregnancy or once a week towards the yeah. end of pregnancy or whatever it might be. Cause yeah, you're, yeah. you're looking at your entire body as a whole and preparing for birth. It's not just how much weight did you gain or what is your yeah. blood pressure this week? Like obviously those things have their role and importance, but there's so much more to it than that. Yeah. And like when you're pregnant, you're growing a human being and that human being is one you're going to have to look after. Right. So you want, you want the best for your baby and, and for your baby to be healthy and get all the nutrients and vitamins and everything that they need. So definitely that was something that was on my mind. So I, (laughs) you know, started making my own prenatal tea and, and drinking that every day and, and, you know, taking my supplements and that sort of thing was really important to me as well. So then take us to where that labor started. Well, my daughter had a birthday party and we had, <laughs> we moved it, uh, moved it early so that the birth of a third baby wouldn't interfere with the birthday party. And uh, my mom had come down and uh, stayed with us for the birthday party to help us get ready and everything. We had all her little friends over. She was four. It was her fourth birthday. And uh and I remember thinking, I was like, oh, what if I go into labor like before the birthday party? We'll have to move the birthday party. And my husband was like, I think everybody will just understand. We'll just send them home. <laughs> It'll be fine. And so, uh, and it's really interesting. Right after the birthday party happened, like um, my mom had stayed overnight and she left the next day. And as soon as she left, like I started having contractions. I was like, oh, I'm just, I'm relaxed now. And it's just starting. This is more than what I could hope for. And, uh, and I didn't go past my due date. So I wasn't like, uh, worried about it going to late or anything. So uh, my uh, third child was born at 38 weeks as well. So uh, yeah, I started labor. Um, 
I had, you know, very mild contractions for a while. And then, so I guess it started in the afternoon. And then by evening, I I was telling my husband, I was like, uh, he was working night shift. (laughs) So so he's like, should I go to work? I was like, yeah, go to work. You know, it's really slow. It could take forever. I had like my daughter that, um, I had the traumatic birth experience with like that labor had lasted or labor or the contractions I was going through, whatever you want to call it. I, it would been days, right? Like it, it would been 30, 38 hours from when I started having contractions to when she was born. So it was like a big marathon thing. So I was kind of prepared for that the second, uh, the third time around. And so I was like, yeah, go to work. I'll be okay. I'll call you if anything changes. And he only worked like 10 minutes away anyways. Uh, so he went, went to work and, uh, I was by myself for some time. And, you know, I, I took that opportunity to like braid her, um, little, uh, a little friendship bracelet so that I could wrap it around the umbilical cord to tie it off and, uh, clean up a few things and get, and get ready. Yeah. By about one in the morning, I started feeling like, oh, this is kind of picking up. So I called my husband, he came home he stayed with me he went to bed he he had a little bit of a nap i think and i tried to lie down for a little while and then by morning around 6 a.m um things were starting to pick up even more so we called my birth attendant to come and she uh she arrived a couple hours later and by then i was like (laughs) it was feeling i was feeling really tired and it was it was um getting intense i was like i can't go on anymore and she's like what's the matter? And I was, and I was like, I was telling her, I am so tired. I'm, I'm just really tired. And I wish I could sleep. And she'd say, well, why don't you go to bed? <laughs> she's like, go lay down. And, and I was like, no, but like, I'm an active leader. I got to keep it going. She's like, go take a rest. If you're tired, your body's telling you that you're tired. So go lay down in bed. And I was actually really scared to lie down in bed because I felt like in the hospital, when I lay down in bed, that was the point at which I never got up again. And I was so scared of being trapped in that place and not not able to move and not able to get up in constant pain. So I was like, I don't wanna go to bed. In my mind, I was like, no, not the bed. (laughs) But um, she's like, come on, you'll feel comfortable. You can let your body relax. (laughs) She talked me into it. And I lay down and I had like this really powerful nap I still had contractions. There was still like definitely sensation, but it just kind of like, it slowed down. I was able to relax and I, and she's like, it's okay if it slows down. If, if you're like, it's not written in some law that your contractions can't slow down or can't get less intense. Like it's not the end of the world. And she's like, it'll pick up when it's ready. And just that confidence is what I, I needed to hear like somebody who's really sure that like this is not pathological so I lay down I had this nice nap and I had this uh it was it was a a sort of waking dream it was pretty it was a pretty neat experience actually um I like to think about it because uh it felt spiritual to me and by the end of the time I I had had my nap um I say, you know, I, I feel kind of ready to get up again. And she's like, okay, well, get up and walk around a little bit. And, <laughs> you know, maybe you want to go downstairs or bounce on the ball. Or um, I ended up in the bathroom and because I was like, oh, I better empty my bladder. And, I, and sitting on the toilet kind of got things, you know, really going. And I was like, I felt kind of 
dropped on the toilet. I was just uncomfortable no matter what I was doing. She was like, well, why don't you get in the bath? We'll put you in a warm bath. But and I, it was really funny because I'd always wanted a water birth. <laughs> and for my third, I just didn't have the confidence to rent the pool again because <laughs> it was kind of a bit of a trigger. And she's like, well, get in the bath, see if the water helps. And like, we put the water in and I got in the bath and I was like, I hate this. <laughs> the water was like kind of splashing around and like the sloshing was like just irritating me. So I was like, no, I don't like this. So I got out of the bath. And I was like, I think I feel like I need to go somewhere. So I was moving around. And uh, that that's when it was like, I think it was the most intense then. And yeah, it was it was so painful. And I thought, Oh, I really can't do anymore. And I was hanging on to the railing upstairs. And that's when and I was kind of like swaying a bit. And that's when my water broke. And I, again, I had another like really powerful spiritual experience there. Um, I saw uh, a bear, like this image of a bear came to me. It was like this mother bear. And then I felt so incredibly powerful, like just, just like I could do anything. <laughs> and I felt like um, I had enough support around me that I, I'm like, I can do this, you know, and I was like ready to have the baby. And so uh, I went back to the bathroom and I sat down on the toilet because that was the only thing to sit on. And my attendant was like, okay, now listen, like you're getting really close. Like I can, I can see the babies coming. She had like a little flashlight. <laughs> she, she said, if you want to have the baby, if you don't have the baby on the toilet, we should try to, you know, go to, go to the bedroom. So I stood up to go to the bedroom. I was like, no, <laughs> I can't go anywhere. So I just like, I got down on my knees. I was like hanging on for dear life to the bathtub because it was like the strongest, stablest thing around. And, you know, I pushed her out and, uh, and everything was great. Like, I just, I felt this immediate relief. I was like, wow, <laughs> so good, right, to, to get her out. And, uh, you know, she cried right away. She, she had a good, uh, good, strong set of lungs on her. And we moved to, the, moved to the bedroom, had the placenta and snuggled into bed. And it was, it was wonderful. <laughs> It's I just going back to when you mentioned like you, you just needed to go somewhere. And that's kind of when things got painful. Hearing you say that I instantly thought like, oh, that was probably transition. Because a lot of times that's when you see women be like, I just got to get out of here. I just got to walk to another room. And you just have to feel like you're going somewhere. And that's kind of you're trying to like, get away from what's going on type of thing. I felt like I needed to escape from my body. I'm like, I want to crawl right out of my own skin. But then that's when I, that's when I saw this bear and I was like, oh yeah, I can do this. Right. And I, and I, I've never felt so powerful in my entire life before, like just so strong and so uh, unconquerable, you know, it's, it's amazing. Although that was a very, very painful experience as well. The, the meaning that I take away from it and my recovery from it, like there wasn't, there wasn't anything to recover from it. Like I never felt like I needed saving I never felt helpless. I felt like I did that, you know. So um, it was. It made the world of difference in in how I um, psychologically put it together after afterwards. Would you say that that was like a healing experience for you then? Yeah, absolutely. Just um, because you know you can read all you want and you can you can learn. And, and what I learned from all my reading is like, it didn't need to be that way. I didn't need to have a cesarean for my, for my first one. I didn't need to have a cesarean for my second one. 
And like, I knew that, and you can put something in your mind and you can, you can rationalize it and, and think like that, but it's not the same as truly like experiencing and believing it. And so when I experienced it, I'm like, I'm a believer. <laughs> like I believed it before, but there's no shaking my faith now. <laughs> that's just, that's the truth of it. Like it's, uh, and I, I never doubted uh, my decision to have, because like in my pregnancy, I was pretty scared with my third one. I was like, what if I have to go to the hospital? Like, what if this, what if that, what if I have a uterine rupture? What, you know, there was like all these, um, these fears that I had to work through. And then uh, once that happened, like I, I didn't have those fears anymore. Like when I got pregnant with my fourth one, I wasn't worried about that. <laughs> Did you just instantly know you were going to have that same unassisted home birth again with your fourth one? Yeah, like because I, I had a great experience with my third one. So I'm like, I'm once I had that, I'm like, I would never seek medical care for this sort of thing again. I'm, I mean, unless there was, you know, evidence that I would die or my baby would die, like that we really truly needed it, like um, uh, an actual, you know, deviation wh- where from normal, where there's some huge concern there. Like, then I would seek help, of course. I don't want to, like, <laughs> I don't want to put anybody in danger. I don't want to die and leave my kids motherless. My, has been wifeless, like, you know, but other, other than something very serious, then I, I wouldn't like, it's just, there's too much to lose. What did, uh, what did that postpartum time after the birth of your third look like just leading into when you got pregnant with your fourth, especially just compared to all of the emotions and everything that you experienced after your first two births? What was that like for you? Okay, so postpartum after my third, I felt amazing around, you know, how around the four, four day mark, you have a little like dip in your hormones, you get emotional. Well, I did. But I was just I was a little bit weepy. And what I was like, because by day four, it kind of kind of hit me what I had done and, and what had happened. And I was like, wow, like, this turned out so wonderful. And I I was emotional, but I was like, it was happy tears, you know. (laughs) And um, it was it just felt like this big celebration in my mind afterwards. Like I felt great for months, you know, like I, I didn't have any postpartum depression or postpartum trauma or, or anything like that to work through. And so I could just like relax and enjoy my baby and enjoy like the relationship that was growing between my baby and my older kids. Um, my mom came and stayed with us again for about a month like she, she would come during the week and then she'd go home on the weekend. We spend the weekend with my dad and then my husband would be home on the weekend. So there was somebody with us all the time. So I had the, had such good support. I'm really glad about that. Yeah. And just going from two to three kids was so easy. Um, I had already figured out how, how to do most things as a mother and felt confident about that. So yeah, it was, it was just really easy. It was peaceful. I loved it. It was, it's a beautiful time in, in my memory, um, spending with my new little baby. <laughs> and I was so happy I got that experience because like my other two, it was like busyness and disappointment and big feelings and, and, and it was difficult. So it was nice to have a parenting experience, which was easy and fun and, and pure pleasure, basically. <laughs> yeah, just to be able to sit and enjoy everything. Mm-hmm that had just happened and everything going on around you. Yeah. And just take her in. Like it's, it's lovely to just get to know your, know your child and, and to just in, enjoy all the cuddles and the nursing and the, the, the cute round cheeks and, you know, it's so good. So then how long afterwards did you get pregnant with your fourth? 
Um, so there's, uh, there's two and a half years between my first and the second. There's four years between my second and my third because I was, you know, scared. <laughs> and then between my, but I discovered, I'm like, wow, I really like this age gap, this four years. It, it makes a big difference because my older kids are just so much more mature and ready to have a sibling. And it was a lot easier. So, you know, I, I wasn't exactly committed to having a fourth one. I was kind of on the fence about it. My husband and I talked about it. Like we could have a fourth one, but you know, that's expensive and you know you gotta do the pregnancy again <laughs> and go back to diapers and that sort of thing but um you know she ended up coming along here she is <laughs> and um it, I couldn't be happier about that and so going going into my fourth one I was like oh this is nice I'm gonna have the same sort of age gap and my uh my third uh child is ready to have a sibling so and and I had a lot less fear about um about how the birth would go because I'm like I did it before I felt like confident about that um I didn't have any concerns about having an unassisted birth because I like figured that was the best thing for me what I was worried about I guess with this pregnancy is um I found out I was pregnant and then everything started locking down <laughs> and I was like wow I'm I'm bringing a baby into this uncertain sort of world, right? And so during my pregnancy, uh, and I mean, in the be beginning too, like everybody was staying at home and it was a time of fear. And so I guess that was kind of lonely in the beginning, but, you know, otherwise, you know, once things started opening up again and we enjoyed our summer, um, it, it was a nice pregnancy and it was, it was really relaxed compared to my other ones. Like <laughs> we just uh, did the same sort of things we did with my third, just, you know, check my blood pressure at home. My dad has a blood pr pressure cuff and <laughs> I just borrowed it from him because, you know, they closed all the ones at the grocery store because of germs. And uh, yeah, and just like measured my own uterus and <laughs> everything seemed to be going okay. And so like about the middle, I was like, you know what? This baby doesn't feel like it's positioned head down. I, I had a feeling like she was in an odd position and then I didn't get any ultrasounds or anything like that either so and I started measuring large I hadn't in all my three previous pregnancies it's like if I was 30 weeks I was 30 centimeters <laughs> like my uterus was that side and she started when she's moving around she felt like she was all over the place she, she didn't feel like the kicks in the usual places for a head down baby I felt kicks everywhere and I was like she's a bit of a I, she, I always thought of her a little bit of an octopus <laughs> like how many legs do you even have <laughs> so um that was a bit concerning I went to go see um my birth attendant that I had uh you know through my last pregnancy because I was like planning to have her over again yeah so when I met with her she's like yeah I, I think that your baby's in a in a frank breach <laughs> and I was like well yeah I I, I think so too she said, you know, I've uh, done four different trainings on how to deliver breech baby, but I've never actually done it before. And so she was kind of excited, I guess, to have the opportunity. And um, her and I sat down and we, we watched um, like breech training videos about like, um, you know, new doctors getting the training on how to deliver breech babies. And it's just, you know, when I saw those videos, I was like, this is just so simple. <laughs> like if the baby like most of the time the baby just comes out fine you just don't like you want to be in an upright position you want to leave the baby alone you want to touch it but then um 
when there is like a little bit of a delay between like when the um, umbilical cord is born and when the like the umbilical area and the head is born, if there's a little bit of delay, all you do is like you just like lift the baby up and let the baby turn its head and then let go and then out it comes. And when I saw how simple that was, I was kind of a bit miffed that I, <laughs> you know, nobody would have been able to do that for me for my for my first baby. But then, you know, I felt kind of vindicated, I guess, like, uh, I, like validators or whatever. Like, I, I was like, I could have had him, you know, uh, vaginally, and he probably would have been fine. And so in, in thinking about like the, the future at the time, and how my fourth baby would be born, I was like, well, I have no problem with like trying to have a reach birth at home. And so my birth attendant, she had said, you know, you can try different, you know, chiropractic techniques or, um, you know, different positioning, um, like spinning babies. And uh, she presented a bunch of different options, which, you know, I, I had already read up on before. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I guess I could try those things. So, you know, I went to see the chiropractor and got him to do some adjustments and stuff like that. But it didn't seem like she was moving out of that position. Uh, so I was kind of just resolved to have a brief birth and um on the day of labor when uh my contractions started I was like pretty sure she was still in that position so you know I checked you know, by feeling my own uh abdomen and and then uh I listened with my I had a fetoscope so I was listening with the fetoscope and her heartbeat was still way up high like over my belly button and I was like, well, she's still in a breach position and I'm in, you know, heading into active labor. So I guess this is happening. <laughs> and I, I told my birth attendant, like, uh, come along. And so, you know, I started having contractions in the morning and my husband and I decided, oh, he'll stay home from work today. <laughs> Throughout the day, I just spent the day like cleaning up things in the house and getting ready for the baby. And I had kind of procrastinated. <laughs> I didn't know where the baby clothes were or anything like that. And by evening, I was I was feeling ready, like we should call the call the birth attendant to come. And she she had a lot a lot longer drive to to make because we had moved to Newmarket, so she had like about a two hour drive. And she said she hurried, <laughs> and she got here she got here real fast. She was here like an hour and a half. <laughs> And uh, which was good because she got here around, uh, I called her around 7.30, she got here around nine and the baby was born at 11.20. So uh, she wasn't even here very long. And this, uh, this birth experience was so much easier. Um, it was quite a bit faster. And I actually, I thought it was gonna go on a lot longer. So I was, I was really complaining. And the fact that I couldn't complain and, and say, oh, this hurts so much, and this is taking forever, <laughs> and that sort of thing. Uh, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm hours away, because with my third, I'm like, I couldn't even talk. I was, it was really intense, and I, I couldn't even form a sentence or even a couple of words. So I was just like grunting and groaning and during that one. But this one, I, I was like walking around and saying, oh, I hurt so much. And <laughs> so I, I thought I had a long time, but then I was like leaning over the edge of my bed, and uh my birth attendant had said, said, Oh, it won't be too long now. I was like, well, how do you know that? Can you even see anything? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I see, like, I see something coming down. And I was like, okay, good. And I thought, you know, it's going to be her bum is, is making its way down. Okay, good. So then I was like, yeah, I can, <laughs> I can push now and like really put some effort into this. Cause there's, 
I wasn't really trying that hard before, but it felt like I had that instinctual urge to kind of push. And then she goes, oh my goodness, there's hair. <laughs> so uh, and I was like, what? I just couldn't believe it. I was, I couldn't, it just kind of shocked me. I was like, there's hair. And I, I took like a minute to register that. And I was like, well, I guess she's coming out head first. And I just gave it a few good pushes and out she came. <laughs> so do you remember yeah, any and, moment like had you felt her move or flip or do no, any of that I like was, you were completely surprised I was so surprised because like before I, I had called her to come here she had definitely been in a in the same position she'd been in for months and so when she said like that she's head down I was like what happened like how did I miss that <laughs> but I guess I guess I had been feeling like the intense of the uh, contractions and I think I I think I know when she must have flipped because um when my birth attendant got here I was like lying down in bed and I was having another one of those like relaxing spiritual nap things that I had in my last pregnancy or my last birth experience I mean and so I think like when I was resting I, I think she must have turned then because I did feel like some movement but it didn't it didn't feel like a huge movement that you would imagine like a big somersault. Um, Cause uh, with my, with my first one, I think I know exactly when he turned to a breech position because I was lying on a, uh, I was at the cottage and I was lying on one of those lounge chairs and I felt my stomach do this big, huge shake and, and, and a big, huge turn inside. So I I'm pretty sure that's the moment at which he turned and it was pretty obvious and, like that's not something you could miss with a full-term baby wiggling like that so I'm just so surprised that she was able to make that flip without me noticing I must have been you know distracted by contractions or you know semi asleep when she did it because I uh, that's the only time I can think of when she had the opportunity to turn like that but it was just it was an incredible thing that she turned so late in the game and you know ended up coming out head first <laughs> and I think that's an important thing to remember too because I've heard of that before, like yeah. even the day before labor or in labor or right before, I mean, babies can flip at any time. So that's an important thing yeah. to keep in mind too, when you're weighing your options of going for a vaginal breech birth or electing to have a C-section. Yeah. And I think, I think it must happen much more commonly than people think, right? Because I, I'm not sure about how it goes in, in your state, but in Ontario, if they find that you have a breech baby, then what they recommend is, oh, let's do a cesarean at 38 weeks. <laughs> so like, we'll do it before, you know, there's a before chance you go you into labor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just because it's just a scheduling thing. It's a convenience, um, right? Like, I have my thoughts about like whether <laughs> delivering two weeks earlier on average than when a baby is meant to be born is a, is a good healthy option. But aside from that, like you're not giving the baby a chance to, to make that um, entrance head first <laughs> into the world. Right. Um, you're just taking it at a moment in time, which is 38 weeks. It's head down. Then that doesn't mean it's going to be, it's going to be born breached necessarily. Um, and what my birth attendant was telling me afterwards, she's like, I've had many people contact me saying that their babies are breached during the pandemic. So she thinks there's like some sort of, you know, there could be a psychological component to that as well. But she's saying every single one of them that every single client that's come to her with a, with a breached baby in, in pregnancy, the baby has turned either before, um, like at the end of pregnancy or during birth. 
And she was saying that, um, so there's the Friedman curve, right? The one that says, you know, labor is supposed to last this long and, and that sort of thing. So, and when those studies were done like many decades ago, he found that only, I think it was 2.5% of women were presenting with a breech baby at term. Uh, but now the number is more like 4%. So something, something different is, is happening like in our, in our society or in the way like women are, are, are that's maybe the things they're doing during pregnancy. It could be like more stress or something like that causing breach. But it also could have been that like when he did those studies back then, they didn't do a cesarean at 38 weeks for a breech baby. <laughs> they um, waited and, and saw what would happen and, and were more supportive of uh, vaginal breech birth at the time, right? So it could have been that, you know, half the babies that are being born by cesarean because of breech presentation, half of them wouldn't need to be born for that reason. Or they that early. Learned if given the opportunity to go all the way into labor, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that's assuming that, you know, it's an undesirable thing to be born, you know, bum first. <laughs> that's very interesting. I'll have to look into that a little bit more just because I, yeah, I haven't read up a ton on all of that. But that's, I, I do find it very interesting that she pointed out, even just during the pandemic, how many people have come to her because I think that that's worth looking into too. And if overall, I mean, it doesn't surprise me, I guess, just with how much more we intervene and overmanage prenatal mm-hmm. care and labor and birth and all of that. So it doesn't surprise mm-hmm. me to see those rates increasing because I think that that would have something to do with it too. Yeah. And, and she was saying another thing she's seeing is um, clients measuring large. So like I said, I'd never left, measured large before and it was something I was concerned about. And she's like, oh, well, it's probably just a, a little bit more water or maybe you have a slightly bigger baby or, <laughs> and I was like, could it be twins? Because I felt like lots and lots of movement. Like, like I said, she's a little octopus. Um, and I was like, could it be twins? And she's like, it could be, but she's like, could be two small babies, could be one big baby. Like just based on the way that she was lying, it wasn't, it wasn't something that we can entirely rule out. So like going into this birth, I was like, there could be a lot of things that, you know, could be a deviating from normal. Like it could be a twin birth. It could be a breech birth. <laughs> it, could, it could be that I have uh, like too much fluid and there could be a reason behind that. So there was, a, there was a bunch of things. And like after she was born so simply, so easily, I, I thought to myself, there is no way that this would have been such a wonderful experience if I had had a doctor or a midwife for my pregnancy. Like there was just too many things. Like there would have been an ultrasound to check out what these things are. And there would have been a lot of searching into what's wrong with me when there was, there was never ever need, any need for it. There wasn't anything wrong. I, you know, had faith that it would turn out okay. And I'm so happy, you know, that it did. Having that trust in your body. And we kind of talked about this before too, but just having people around you that are supporting you, not trying to scare you into doing something you don't want to do, but it's, it's a journey to finding that strength and really being able to trust in your body like that, because we are taught from the very beginning not to, that we need all these interventions and tests and whatever, but there's lots of women out there who don't want all of that and just tune into themselves and listen to their body. And there's something to be said about just trusting that your body knows what it's doing and knows how to 
grow your baby, knows how to birth your baby, knows how to take care of your baby. And that's very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's where I've done a complete 180, right? Because with my first one, I was like, Oh, yeah, I need to do all this, like all these tests, I I need to know that the baby's okay. And even need to know the gender, like, (laughs) stuff like that, right? Like, I want to know these things. And you know, as I've gone through my parenting journey, I was like, there's things that I want to know. And then there's things that I don't want to know, <laughs> you know, because knowing doesn't necessarily mean you worry less. Because with my first two pregnancies, it was like, I do the test, and then I wait for the test results to get the confirmation that everything's fine. Like, that's why I was doing it. I want to know everything's fine. But then you have to wonder, well, what are you going to do with that information if you find out everything is not fine? Right. And knowing so, doesn't always change anything either. You just, oh, that, because you have the information right. doesn't mean you can do anything with it. Yeah. And I'm like, what is the, and that is the case with most situations in pregnancy. Like there's, there are some conditions that they can, you know, kind of prepare for, but most of them, they're, they're not like, uh, and do I want to have that knowledge before the baby is born? I'm like, no, I don't want to worry about it for, you know, however many months before the baby's born, just to find out like when the baby's born, it's, there's something wrong or there's some, or it's not. I, I think there's, there's something to be said about having patience and waiting for the right information to come to you at the right time, because, um, you know, of the reading I've done on it, when they interviewed uh, women about how they felt and compared groups of women that had prenatal testing and did not, the the ones that did they had more anxiety during pregnancy like waiting for these these bad things to happen or or worrying about um the condition of their baby especially if they're told that like their baby has some sort of condition that's not operable or curable like like downs or or that they're not compatible with life or anything like that like i mean those those are things you have to face when you when you take the risk of becoming a parent right that things might not be perfect or might not be right or just just as you expected them to be, you know? So and I think it's important to note too that everything has risk. So yeah. you just have to really look to yourself and find what risks you are comfortable taking and that's going to look a little bit different for everybody, but that's Absolutely. in my opinion that's the way that pregnancy should be and you should be supported in however you want that to look because everyone has different reasons for choosing different things. So you should be able to evaluate the risk yourself and then make your own decisions based off of that. And to be treated like an adult, like, <laughs> right. I, the, thing I, the thing I found like most um, irritating, I suppose about my, um, my first two pregnancy experiences is the, um, the way that I was, my decision-making was assessed by my care providers. They, they thought, this lady must be nuts to, to plan a, a home birth after a cesarean. Like they, they treated me like I was out of my mind and took every opportunity during prenatal appointments to pick apart my choice, like why it wasn't good. And that's making the assumption that I don't have what it takes to make a good decision or the, or the right decision for me. So I, I think that's, that's a problem that uh, comes up a lot during prenatal care is that the care providers don't treat everyone like they're adults capable of making good decisions that are right for their family. And that's something that really has to change. Like if, if they want to have the trust of the people that they care for, 
and provide services to, then they should be, you know, engaging with them as adults, having adult conversations and not questioning uh, and picking apart decisions that people make because everybody has a different idea of what's an acceptable risk to take and has different visions and goals for their parenthood journey. And those need to be respected. Anything else that you can think of that you want to add or for any women out there who are just kind of in the place where they might be considering their options after having a C-section? Is there anything else that you can think of that you would want them to know? Yeah, I think it can be summed up pretty simply. It's like, if you want to try, don't be afraid to shoot for what you think is going to be a good birth experience. Like recovering from a cesarean psychologically is, it's difficult. And if you can find somebody to talk to, like during your pregnancy and have somebody there with you um, while you labor and and give birth to your baby, um, find somebody who is 100% on board with what you're doing. And, you know, use those people in your life that can give you support. Um, Talk to them about your fears, work through it together. Um, Keeping it inside and and worrying about it to yourself isn't going to help you. (laughs) So that, that would be one thing. And the other thing is seriously think about what sort of decisions you're making and how those align with what you want to happen. So you cannot have, uh, you're not likely to have a, a VBAC by, you know, doing everything that you're told to do, because a lot of these recommendations go against what's going to support you in, in achieving uh, vaginal birth. So um, just, yeah, be, be careful about uh, which tests you're accepting and, and which um, sort of I guess expectations you're willing to bend over backwards to to meet because some of them you know you can't really you can't control what your body is going to do but you can set up your your plan so that whoever's there is going to be honest with you and and um, supportive of what you need to do and not working against you if you're finding like that your care provider is on a different page they want different things and it's it's time to find somebody else. Well, thank you so much for all of those stories and just all of the insight. And I really appreciate everything that you had to say. Yeah, thank, thanks, Rachel, for interviewing me. It's been uh, nice to talk about. I like reflecting upon uh, these experiences. And, and I think it, it's really important to share these sort of things so that uh, other people know there's there's options out there. Maybe not everybody has to make the choices I did. <laughs> I wouldn't expect them to, but you know, just there's, uh, there's a lot of power in knowing that you don't have to do everything that you're, you're told you should do. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you're interested in sharing your home birth after cesarean story, send us an email at hbacpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.